And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am so excited to be joined today by the athletic senior writer Chantel Jennings for a special women's basketball edition. We are going to be doing college hoop shows through the final four. So be sure to hang around, subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples show and friends feed. You know that Andy and Ari are going to have whatever ridiculous conversation that they're going to have every single time they talk throughout the college football offseason. But you can also learn some stuff about hoops while we go. And on today's episode of Power Hour, we are going to break down everything you need to know heading into the women's tournament. You need to know the the contenders, the bubble teams, the teams that could get to the final four, and also some details about how they're setting up the Super Regional. So Chantel, let's dive in. Thank you so much for making some time. Thanks for having me, Nicole. This is a lovely reunion from our college football days, our Michigan daily days. So I'm happy to be here. Yes. Um, I don't know if we have any listeners from way back when, but yes, we did used to, po- to, to pod for the athletic talk college football, but you have been in greener pastures in the women's game this whole time. Um, and you are an expert. Cannot wait to get your insight on these teams. Uh, the way that we're going to set this up for, for listeners is we're going to call it the power five in true power hour fashion. We're going to hit on a bunch of different topics. Um, and, and they are going to be news and notes across the sport nationally. And that's how we'll organize this thing. So Chantel, I want to start with the conference tournaments to date, um, there there has been some interesting results already. I think to me, Virginia Tech going through, winning the ACC tournament. We saw Caitlin Clark in the triple-double in the Big Ten championship game. So Iowa wins the Big Ten. And then Washington State might be the most entertaining and enjoyable team in all of women's basketball right now because they love Shania Twain. Shania Twain loves them back and Wazoo won their very first Pac-12 tournament championship. So those are the three that I found most interesting. So tell me what else you learned conference tournament weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think those were sort of the three main storylines coming out of the first weekend in women's college basketball. They play through two two weeks, basically, of conference tournaments, unlike the men. And so we have the first wave, which all three of those teams won their conferences in the first wave. And then we have the second wave, which is, in terms of power conferences, we'll have the Big 12 and then a lot of mid-majors are happening right now. Um, but yeah, I thought Washington State was sort of the best weekend or the best story coming out of the first weekend of conference tournaments because no one would have picked them. This is not a program that has a rich history of women's basketball or even women's sports excellence. Um, I've spent a lot of time in Pullman, Washington for my previous life as a college football writer when Mike Leach was there. Um, and I don't know how you recruit there. And Cami Etheridge is a phenomenal coach and she sort of found these diamonds in the rough, brought them together. They made this incredible run through the PAC 12 tournament. They're incredibly loose. Like you mentioned, they love Shania Twain 20 minutes before they take the court every game, starting in the PAC 12 
conference slate, one of the players would walk into the locker room and say, let's go girls. And then they would all break into the first verse and chorus <laughs> of Shania Twain's iconic song. They played it on the court after they won the Pac-12 title. Um, they're just fun and exciting. They're the kind of stories that you get in March, right? Like this is a team that we weren't talking about a few months ago, but now everyone is talking about them. And I'm assuming a lot of people specifically because of the Shania Twain stuff will probably is she, pick Is them. she going to go to like, do, what are the <laughs> odds that she shows up at an NCAA tournament game? So she tweeted back at them that she was on tour i think she's on tour out of the country so i doubt she'll be able to make it to an ncaa tournament game but i you know with the power of technology it would be pretty great if she like zooms in or something for a pregame talk or if she zooms in like for karaoke i feel like i should be on a marketing team right now but she should like call in for their karaoke session before the first game of the tournament that would be the most epic storyline of march i think so Virginia Tech's another team um, that kind of – it's not that they came out of no, nowhere because Liz Kitley has been ACC Player of the Year two years in a row, if I have that right. But how did they elevate this year to get to the point where they're winning the ACC tournament? Well, I think the tough thing is that there's a lot of parity in women's basketball. And so it's not like the SEC where you basically have South Carolina, LSU to an extent, and then everyone else. Um, the ACC – has so many top teams that throughout the season, it's not like there was a ton of focus on one single team. It's not like Virginia Tech led from start to finish for this uh, for this conference. You have Notre Dame, you have Florida State, you have Duke and UNC and NC State. So there's sort of all of these teams that were all in the conversation throughout the year um, who all have great storylines, all have great players. But I think with Virginia Tech, this run that they've gone on, Liz Kitley is obviously a huge part of it, Georgia Amore, the guard, um, for that team is another huge part of it. And it's, again, just sort of these coaches who are finding ways to push the right buttons at the right, right time of the season. I think that win in the ACC tournament really elevated them into a one seed spot. Um, I think they should get the one seed. And we'll see sort of how the ACC plays out through the rest of the tournament. But this is a conference as a whole that I think is really rising with a lot of recent hires. And um, Kenny Brooks has not gotten sort of the credit that he should have gotten over the last few years building this program. But um, Kara Lawson is now in that conference. Courtney Banghart is in that conference. I think there's a lot of really talented coaches. And as a conference, they're, you know, keeping more players home and, and bringing top talent into that league. And the ACC is going to be really fun to watch over the next few years, but also in March. And so is the Big Ten. So that brings us to, to number two in the Power Five. I, I want to talk about Caitlin Clark. Now, you got <laughs> to see her up close and personal in Minneapolis for the Big Ten tournament. She is is just like such a dominant and incredible player. I think she's underrated somehow as a passer um, because she's mm-hmm. just – the broadcasts lately have been doing a really good job of kind of slowing that down, zooming in, showing her angle on some of these passes and some of these assists. But obviously a triple-double in that champ game, we've seen many, many triple-doubles from her over the years. Um, so the question for you, Chantel, is, is she going to be the National Player of the Year? I think so. She's my vote. And that's, you know, I think the conversation from the jump has been Aaliyah Boston versus Caitlin Clark. And it's, this isn't like a slight against Aaliyah. Aaliyah is the greatest post player we've seen in the women's game in a long time. She just happens to be playing in the same season as a generational talent in Caitlin Clark. Like 
that's just how the cards are falling right now. Or that's just how the chips are falling right now, right? Like that's nothing against Aaliyah Boston. Both of these players have had double, triple teams on them all season. Both of these players, when they step on the floor, are the number one, two, three, four priority for every defense. Um, but Caitlin, I this was, you know, the first time I got to see her this season in person, and it was incredible. Like, I don't understand how she gets some of these shots off, but like you said, it's her passing that really sort of elevates her to a different level. It's not just the range. It's not just the logo threes. Um, it's not just sort of the way she amps up the crowd. Some of the passes she makes, I don't understand just like physics wise, how this is working. Um, and a lot of credit goes to her teammates because they're the ones that have to catch the ball. And I think she did a good job of crediting them on the assists. Like obviously she doesn't credit for assists unless they make the shots, but with Caitlin Clark as a passer, she is putting the ball in the perfect position and getting her teammates a lot of two foot looks. Um, and there are times when I think the part that stands out to me the most is that she's able to make these like full court passes that we see Sue Bird make. And I don't want to sit here and say like, oh my gosh, she's Sue Bird. She's this 20 year WNBA veteran. But the looks that she's making give me that feel like she's making these 60 foot passes down the floor right on the money to a person who's running in stride for a layup that is really really hard to do i don't know you know this is someone i'm gonna have to cover for the next year or two and i think i've spent a lot of the last week wondering how am i going to keep writing about how good she is for potentially the next two years this is like a great problem to have but also as a sports writer you're like damn it how am i going to figure out new ways to write about how good caitlin clark is and, and like come up with new adjectives is so. So actually I, I did have a question about that. I don't know the answer. How much eligibility does she have? And, and like, is she coming back to Iowa next year? So she has two seasons left. If she wants it, she's a junior this year. She has her senior year, obviously. And then she has her COVID bonus year. Um, everyone who played in that uh, 2021 year get or what year was it? Everyone has their COVID bonus year. So 2020, <laughs> 2020. Yeah. Right. Um, and so she could come back for two years. She has said that she doesn't know what she's going to do yet. I genuinely believe her when she says that. And this isn't about the money necessarily. I think a lot of people are saying like, oh, she makes so much more money at the college level than the pro level. And they're sort of using this to elevate the conversations about WNBA rookie salaries, which that's true. The rookie salary is not that great. But in terms of like the NIL money that she's making at the college level, it's not like that goes away when she becomes a pro. Um, my understanding is that a lot of these contracts have it written in that it follows them for a few years at least. So it's not like Nike is going to drop her when she becomes a pro. That doesn't serve Nike well. Another one of her big um, NIL deals is with Hy-Vee, which is a Midwest grocer. <laughs> um, but I, even if she's not in the Midwest, I see no reason why Hy-Vee wouldn't keep her as sort of one of its... Um, sort of as the face of its brand because she is going to go down in history as one of the greatest athletes in Iowa history ever. Um, and so it's not about money. I really do think it's probably about the experience. Um, maybe it's about getting a master's degree, different things. If she thinks the team has a shot to make a final four run, if they don't do that over the next two years, uh, we'll sort of see, but she could play two more years of college basketball. That is wild uh, and and somewhat terrifying. I, I, I personally believe 
Um, and I know I'm probably preaching the choir on this, that she is the face of college basketball this year. Like, I'm not going to say women's basketball. I think it's both. I mean, she's got Patrick Mahomes and everyone tweeting about her when she has these logo threes and these game winners. Um, I, w- I want to transition and talk about Aaliyah Boston's team, and that's, and that's South Carolina. So number three for the Power Five is this question that I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask every single person who knows more about this sport than me over the next week. South Carolina or the field? It, it, it feels like the Gamecocks will be the heavy favorites to win it all again. We are in the middle of what certainly can be described as a dynasty. Do you think that there is someone out there who can beat them, who can challenge them, or are we going to be given a trophy to Don Staley and company again? My pick is still South Carolina. That defense is just next level. Um, I don't even think elite is selling it properly. Like that defense is just unbelievable. And for teams that haven't seen it yet this season, that hits you in the face really hard in the first quarter. Um, And so I don't know how big 10 teams that, you know, haven't seen a defense like that ever will react, even though I think the big 10 is the best overall conference, or at least their top tier is the best. Um, you know, I don't even think I would pick the Big Ten against South Carolina just because that defense is so damn good. And the other thing they have is depth, which a lot of teams in women's college basketball don't have this year. A lot of teams, I think, in college basketball don't have because of the transfer portal. Most coaches, if you have a team of eight, nine, that eight and ninth player on your team are jumping into the transfer portal. That's not the case for Don Staley. The depth that she has on her team is really impressive, maybe the best across power conference teams. Um, and so it's not a situation like, let's talk about Indiana, for example, a team that I think is the second best in the country. Um, you know, I've been like, oh my gosh, they have so much depth this year. They're still only playing six players. Um, most of their starters are playing more than 30 minutes a game, but they're still only playing six players, basically. Dawn Staley has Olympians coming off the bench. She has six, seven Camilla Cardoso coming off the bench. And so it's hard to pick against South Carolina right now when they have all of these different factors going for them. I think the caveat I have to say here is that they could run into trouble in a higher scoring game because their outside shooting can be streaky. If Zaya Cook isn't hitting from the outside, if they're not getting a lot of production outside of the three-point line, and they come up against a team that does, maybe an Iowa team that can go off, uh, maybe an Indiana team that can go off from range, I think that's where they could run into trouble simply because I don't think you're going to beat South Carolina. If you're trading buckets in the paint, South Carolina is going to beat you if you're going two for two, but suddenly if you're going three for two, that math gets a little harder to overcome. Um, But that is less about maybe another team beating South Carolina than South Carolina kind of beating itself. Right. And so um, that's like my one caveat, but I still don't necessarily think that, that is going to happen over 40 minutes through the course of a season or through the course of a game. And I should throw UConn into that mix too, in terms of teams that could get going from range with Lou Lopez, Seneschal and AZ Fudd, who's now healthy. But yeah, I just don't necessarily see it happening right now. Okay, I want to get your thoughts on UConn getting healthier in a second, but one of the other pieces of, of South Carolina's path here is like logistically how it would happen. And there is a wrinkle this year, a change. Um, I, I was wondering if you could explain the the super regionals and how this is going to get set up for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight round. 
So the women's tournament is a little different than the men's tournament. The top 16 seeds host the first two rounds, um, which is why as the NCAA has sort of been announcing its top 16 through the season, coaches are really paying attention to that because you want to be, you know, the difference between 16 and 17 is massive in women's college basketball. It means you either host that first weekend or you don't. And so every college basketball coach wants to be in the top 16. South Carolina's in the top 16, they're number one, duh. So they're gonna host their first and second round games in Columbia, South Carolina. All right, so they're gonna have 14,000 people cheering for them the first two the first weekend. The second weekend though, we're going into a super regional format. So they've taken the four regionals and basically compressed it into two sites. It'll still be played on different days. Um, so you'll basically have regional one and regional two. One will be located in Greenville, South Carolina. The other will be located in Seattle, Washington. As the number one overall seed, you're going to get to go to the regional that is more favorable to you. So South Carolina is going to go to Greenville, South Carolina. So basically, South Carolina is going to have home court advantage until the final four in Dallas. Um, South Carolina fans are loud, they're rowdy, they back Don Staley and the Gamecocks louder than any team in the country. They lead the nation in attendance. And so the idea of, you know, everything that I said earlier about, about beating this team on the floor, getting hot from range, not only do you have to contend with Aaliyah Boston, Camilla Cardoso, Brie Beal, Don Staley's defense overall, you also have to contend with 14 to 15,000 South Carolina fans that are just going to be going crazy for this team as they try to repeat as national champs. Just just a slight uphill battle for for literally literally everyone. <laughs> yeah, um, if we're talking about like the sixth woman, uh, I think they have like the sixth, seventh, and eighth woman. Uh, yeah, definitely. well, and it's, and it's timely because last year there was so much attention and hoopla around the, the games in Bridgeport, Connecticut, because UConn was a two seed and they obviously right. benefited from having a, a home atmosphere there. And that's where I want to go on number four here on the Power Five, Chantel, is we haven't talked about UConn yet. And for so long, this sport was UConn and everybody else. And rightfully so, we, we talk about Dan, Don Staley, we talk about South Carolina, we talk about the parody and some of these players like a Caitlin Clark not going to a UConn, not going to just one program anymore. So what is the latest with the Huskies and their health, their health of their coach? What, what, what has their season been like this year? I think it is fair to say that this season has been unlike any other in Gino Oriama's coaching career um, on the floor and off the floor. Um, off the floor, he lost his mother this season. They're very, very close. Um, she was a big part of this program and he's had health issues. His main assistant, Chris Daly, had health issues. Um, and so you kind of have to take all of that into account, I think, because at the end of the day, these coaches and players are people. Um, and that impacts what we see on the floor, right? Uh, on the floor, if we're just looking at it from an X's and O's perspective, UConn has not been able to get healthy this year. Obviously, Paige Beckers went down before the season started. Um, but overall, they've had more injuries than probably any other team that I would say is in contention for the final four. They only have two players on their entire roster that has been available for every single game this season. They've literally had to postpone games because they don't have seven healthy players to take the floor. Um, and in games where they do have seven healthy players, they're only playing six and they're all playing like 35, 36, 37 minutes a game. Nika Mule has played 40 minutes a ton of times this season. Um, 
So they haven't been able to get healthy. It's sort of been a rotating cast of who is or isn't healthy. They've been held together, it seems, at time by like tape um, and hope. <laughs> um, and the big, uh, maybe it's it's not a surprise, I guess. UConn sort of always pulls it together, right? Um, I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to win the Big East tournament because I didn't know who was going to be available for them this year. And winning three games three days in a row when you only have six or seven players is really tough to do. But they got healthy. Dorka Yuhas, who missed the end of season finale with a foot injury, came back. And AZ Fudd was the main contributor who came back. She's a former number one player overall. Um, she's someone who stretches the floor for them. We saw her minutes increase in the Big East tournament as time went on. But she's someone who changes the ceiling of this team 100%. Um, I think every coach in the country would tell you that they would much rather face a UConn team. If you had to take one player off the team and face them, it would be right now AZ. Um, but she's back. She's healthy. And if she's going to be playing 35 minutes a game, shooting the ball like she does, playing in transition as she does, this UConn team is a lot more dangerous. I think a month ago I would have told you that their final four streak was maybe at risk. I still think that might be true, but the margin is a lot smaller. This team with AZ FUD, if they can stay healthy through the next few weeks, um, they have they have a path to the final four. So uh, well, what what number is the streak at right now? And what seed are they projected to be? Do you, do you know, are they like a two seed this year? They've been to 14 straight final fours. So this would be 15. They're currently projected in ESPN's bracketology as a two seed, um, which is in Greenville same uh they're in the same region right now as indiana which i think would be a really interesting matchup for them um but you know i uh, indiana versus yukon in south carolina in an elite game elite eight game looking at a trip to the final four you know one of those teams has a lot of experience in those moments and one of those teams does not um, and i think experience does come into play in march Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, so number five of the Power Five, I want to talk Big Ten. And, and I know you were at this tournament last week. So you had, again, the front row seat to Caitlin Clark, but a lot of other teams. I mean, this has been a league that's basically had top 10 matchups throughout conference play. Um, Indiana, Maryland, there, there's a lot of different teams to, to be excited about. I'm, I'm going to read something from something you wrote, and you need to make this make sense to me. This is a conference that hasn't boasted a national title game appearance since 2005 and hasn't placed a team in the Final Four since 2015. Only Purdue in 1999 has won a national championship. And then, to quote your own words, this has to be the year, right? So is this the year that the Big Ten gets a Final Four participant? And like of that top grouping, there's a, there's a lot of really good teams in this league. Who feels most likely? Yeah, I, again maybe this is a level of sort of recency bias sitting courtside watching the semifinals, at least let's take the title game out of it. I'm not sure what happened with Ohio state in that game. I mean, I do know what happened. It was Caitlin Clark. Um, but if we look at just the semifinal games between Ohio state and Maryland, Indiana, Iowa, those, those four teams, I came out of Saturday at the big 10 tournament thinking I just watched two teams that are going to be in the final four. I don't know what two teams those are necessarily, Let's take out whoever would be in the bracket with South Carolina and whatever other three teams, potentially, if they're all separated in other brackets or maybe no Big Ten team ends up of those four teams in South Carolina's region. But all four of those teams, to me, looked like final four teams when they're playing at their best. Ohio State, we saw kind of the best and the worst of them over the weekend, but their press is just nasty. Like if they can get that going, if they can force teams into turnovers, if they can get steals, they're also a team that has had some health issues this year. JC Sheldon, who's a big defensive presence and a shooter for them returned. We saw Taylor Mikesell sort of this got lost in the shuffle. She had 20 plus points in the title game, just like sinking long range threes. But if you're on a floor with Caitlin Clark, you know, one person's going to get attention for those long range threes. It's going to be Caitlin, not Taylor. Um, Ohio State could, I would say of the four, they're the least likely, um, but it's still possible. Like, I think that press, I think that defense could be tough for some teams. Iowa, it's obviously the Caitlin Clark show, but Monica Zanano is fantastic in the paint. Um, she is a big bodied post who's just going to destroy teams on the board. I think the way that she and Caitlin 
communicate with one another the way they pass the way that Caitlin can get the ball to Monica. Monica's a pretty good passer too. It, teams can't they they can't defend against that. I asked Kevin McGuff actually after the final after the semifinal game, like I understand how you try to get into passing lanes when you're scheming against someone. I understand how you try to get someone to take tougher shots, maybe when you're game planning against them. How do you game plan against communication when it seems like two players just sort of have this ESP? And he said, you can't. Like, that is what he has seen from Caitlin over the last three years that has improved the most. He said it's maybe the best of any player he's ever seen in college basketball. Um, and this is a coach who has coached pros, um, who has, you know, won a lot. And so there's that level. Indiana, I think, might be the most balanced team in the Big Ten in terms of scoring their inside-outside presence. Mackenzie Holmes is, you know, we didn't bring her up when we were talking about player of the year, but she was my third place vote for player of the year. She has been fantastic. I think Indiana has an argument for Chloe Moore McNeil as the most improved player nationally. Um, and then I think you look at a Maryland team that just has scores everywhere. Brenda Freeze brought in nine new players this year. Um, Diamond Miller is sort of the center point of this team, but Cheyenne Sellers has made a big jump forward in her sophomore year. You have Abby Myers, who came from Princeton, and her game has completely translated to the power conference level. No big surprise there. Um, but I think you have a lot of weapons with Maryland that could you know, get to teams and their defense is much, much improved this year, which is not always something we say about the Terrapins. And so of those four teams, I tweeted it, but I think the Big Ten could get two teams in the final four this year. I don't think this is just the year that the streak of final four list seasons ends. I think if they play, if they're prepared to play their best, I think the Big Ten gets two teams in the final four this year. So before we wrap up, um, you know, this may be the the preview pod for for a lot of our listeners who maybe don't know a ton about the women's basketball season. That is, as we sit here, in case they're 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 listening to this as they are starting to look at a bracket or fill this out or figure out which teams to to ride with. Um, are there any other teams nationally that are great stories worth paying attention to? Have a star player that's entertaining? A- anyone else that you want to make sure people are aware of? I think out of the Pac-12, you have a team like Utah that, you know, isn't nationally known for having a great brand of women's basketball. When we talk about women's sports for Utah, it's usually gymnastics, which is sort of their uh, legacy women's sport there. But their basketball team this year has been fantastic. Alyssa Peely in the post for them has been really strong, really enjoyable to watch a big part of their success. I think UCLA is really intriguing to me. They're a really young team. Kiki Rice is a freshman. Um, she's the first Jordan brand NIL athlete, which is why some people might know her name, but you should probably watch her on the floor too. This is, uh, I believe, among the top 20 teams in the country, the highest percentage of minutes played by first-year players. Um, and so I think that makes them dangerous because when you think about how much freshmen improve over the course of the season, this feels like a team that could surprise some people. Notre Dame is currently at a three seed in bracketology, but they, um, we don't know the exact status of point guard Olivia Miles. I don't expect her to be available for the postseason. And so if people are looking at just going chalk with sort of their top three picks, which is generally a safe bet in women's basketball brackets, um, I would maybe pay a little closer attention to Notre Dame and what they have going on. And then I think... LSU is another three seed that potentially could be in danger 
Um, Angel Reese is a phenomenal player. They have help for her with Flauge Johnson and Alexis Morris, but I think we've seen some of, uh, I think we've seen ways to beat them through the end of the season in the SEC tournament. I think they played a softer non-conference schedule, which got them really high in the rankings. Interestingly enough, that's sort of LSU is one of the teams where there's the biggest difference between the coaches poll and the AP poll. The coaches actually have them ranked higher, which uh, sometimes makes me feel like, okay, maybe, maybe pollsters have it wrong if coaches think this, but I do feel like LSU is sort of right for the picking as a three seed. Um, and Stanford, I guess we haven't really talked about Stanford. They're currently a one seed. I was surprised to see that in ESPN's Bractology, actually. I think we have seen some uh, some weak points for the Cardinal this season. They don't necessarily have the same amount of... Uh, they're not as sort of complete as I would expect them to be at this time in the season. What they do have that I don't think any other team in the country has when we're talking about matchups is they have the height and the length to match up with South Carolina. They have a six, seven player who comes off the bench like South Carolina, and they have a post player in Cam Brink who um, physically definitely doesn't match up with Aaliyah Boston, but I think schematically uh, they could do some things to make life hard for South Carolina if those two teams were to meet at some point. Um, but also it's sort of like postseason Tara. She's going to have this team ready to play, and so you can't count them out uh, of anything. Yeah, it, it did feel like, especially early in the season, like they just weren't finishing games in the way that they that they usually do. Um, so that one's going to be interesting. And, and certainly if they do land on the top seed line, a, a quiet number one seed for, for yeah. Stanford. Um, but Chantel, before before I let you go, um, for Power Hour, we always wrap up with a, a last call, which is it's kind of a cheers or a jeers. It can be, you know, we, we celebrate, we get a you know last round before the bar is closing, celebrate one one thing or rant about something because you just can't get it off your mind. Um, I'll, I'll go first, but then I want to I want to give you the floor to to give a last call yourself. And my last call is going to be to all the new and emerging women's basketball fans, because we have been watching ratings roll in and, and we know the record numbers that BTN got for the women's tournament this year, um, how much it was up. I think it was up 25% off of last year. Um, they hit a record number with uh, 380,000 viewers for a game, the most watched ever on, on that channel. ESPN has hit a bunch of benchmarks with women's games this year as well. They put games on ABC. We've, we've seen that if you, if you broadcast it and you make it easier to consume, people will watch. And I, every time I'm around someone who has not really followed this sport, but sits down and watches, it's fun. It's engaging. There's all these really, you know, incredible athletes. Obviously Caitlin Clark is must see TV, but like I said, I mean, I fell in love with the Wazoo women's basketball team. They just looked like they were having so much fun. The post-game interview was incredible, emotional. It was it was cathartic. Um, the, the, the Shania Twain thing. Like, I understand why she wants to be part of their run because it looks so fun. So I, my my cheers is to everyone who has been those new viewers, who has who has contributed to the the ratings being up this year because it is a sport that is growing, can grow, continues to develop its parity. And I think that people who are watching it realize that. They realize it's not just UConn and everybody else. And, and again, even though maybe the tournament this year is, is South Carolina versus the field, they're far from the only thing happening in this sport. So my cheers is to those new viewers, the numbers that, that show that you weren't watching last year, but you're watching this year. 
I will sort of piggyback on that. Um, and my mine is like a cheers and a jeer, I guess. Um, but this would be the thing that, you know, if a bunch of women's basketball coaches were at a bar together and had a few at the end of the night, I think this is how they would end. So it feels very appropriate that maybe this is how we'll end our <laughs> conversation. Um, we'll have an anonymous poll running next week. And one of the questions I've been asking women's college basketball coaches is if you could ask incoming NCAA president, Charlie Baker, one thing, what would it be? Um, and so my cheers and jeers is based off of that. The main thing for women's college basketball right now, or I guess there's two main things, but when we talk about putting women's college basketball on an equal platform with men's college basketball and getting this sport to a place where you can actually compare the two, because I think that's a lot of people say, well, women's college basketball isn't as popular as men's. Well, no shit. When the investment has been completely different through the entire history of the sport, through the entire history of our country, like no shit, it's not going to be as popular. This is the first time since the 90s that the game is going to be not on cable, that it's going to be nationally available on ABC. Um, but the main thing I would want to ask Charlie Baker at this point is, are you going to sell the women's tournament TV rights on its own? Currently, it has been packaged with 28 other championships. So ESPN has bought women's college basketball, but it's also bought track and field and cross country and all of the other sports that sort of come along with it. That would never happen for men's college basketball. Women's college basketball is growing. Every metric you look at proves that, um, whether it's viewership, whether it's ticket sales, um, following online, sort of the NIL numbers that I think we've seen from women's basketball players on the college level, everything shows that the sport is on the rise. So my cheers would be to everyone who is trying to get Charlie Baker and the NCAA to sell the tournament rights on its own and stop packaging women's college basketball with 28 other sports. It deserves its own platform. Um, and I'm not saying this as a fan. I'm saying this as someone who understands numbers, like make money, make money for the NCAA and sell this tournament on its own. Well said, completely agree. And if there's money to be had, everyone needs new revenue streams. Everyone wants money right now. You need it. It's for like the literally future. the only, it's the only place in the NCAA where they're not being greedy. Am I allowed to swear in this podcast? Sure. Like it's, it's the only podcast. Place where like, they're not have... being like greedy as fuck. Like just sell it. You're going to make money. Why? Like everywhere else you just are thinking about money. And here's the one place where like sexism is trumping money in some way, which is just you know, I mean, whatever, that's another conversation for another day. But truly, the fact that this is a tournament that has been sold with and packaged with all of these other tournaments, you know, it is offensive to women's basketball coaches, I understand why they're so angry. But it's not just about the fact that they're being packaged with other sports. It's about the fact that they are not earning the amount of money they could earn. And then in turn, people are saying, well, women's basketball doesn't make money. And it's like, Yep. Give it the opportunity to make money. Give women's college basketball the opportunity to show exactly how much it's worth. It's it's exactly that. Like 
circular argument because you're, it's undervalued by not being sold separately. So we don't know what the market would have. And then people say, well, no one watches it. And it's, so that's why it's not valued. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense because you're not allowing the, the true market to see what it's worth. And again, you've seen the growth. We've seen these crowds showing up to these games in, in Iowa and South Carolina and all these places. Like we've seen the lines to get in to the big 10 tournament. We've seen all of these, these growth markers, um, and it will be it will be interesting and it will be eye opening, I think, for a lot of people when this does spin off, if and when, hopefully when it does spin off and gets to be sold on its own because we have seen the growth there. Media media rights deals around women's sports are, are only growing. So that is a great last call. It is it is a, a cheers and a jeers. It is a rant and a rave. And we love that here on Power Hour. Chantel, thank you so much for making us smarter, getting us ready for the women's basketball tournament. Uh, thank you so much. And, and hopefully we can do this again. It was great to podcast with my old podcast buddy. Um, but I hope you have a great selection Sunday and tournament. Thanks, Nicole, for having me. For Chantel, I'm Nicole. Power Hour Basketball Edition will be back next week. So we'll talk to you then.